This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Well, good morning, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's a Tuesday, and Tuesday means that Max got back to Phoenix, and he's in the Valley Yay. of the Sun. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> you made it. You're on mountain time now, right? You're just a couple hours Correct. behind instead of three. Yeah, only the deuce, no more trays. All right. Well, that's good because then, see, you already got, you got one extra hour that you don't have to worry about being behind, right? That is that is true. That I mean, that's true. what my Staying mathematics tell me. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah, closer. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, the East Coast wanted to be closer to, to Arizona. I get it. I get it because we don't change our time. Everybody else changes around us, so. Oh, is that so? So that's how we jump between time zones, because we stay at a consistent time. Well, that's good, because consistency is key in anything. I'll say one thing, my friend. You know, Teresa Varley wrote a great article on Steelers.com, and it was about uh, Cam Hayward and his uh, lovely wife, Allie, and they are, uh, you know, they have the, the Hayward house, okay? And that is... Um, they held a gala at the Coupe de Ville and down in the Strip District a few days ago. But it was a fundraiser to, you know, it's about reaching out to those in need, those of us who are need a helping hand. And I, I find it uh, fascinating, the number of guys, despite the fact, you know, when you, you got some a little bit of trouble, tribulation going on in the field, it's easy to pull back and kind of withdraw from the other aspects of community involvement, you know, not reaching out to those but not cam you know cam i I love this and i love this there's a lot of players who well i I would just say this i was down at light of life you know back uh last week and i was with kent uh chevalier the the chaplain for the steelers and you know there were several guys and i i I, i'm gonna let them remain nameless uh but they were down there serving the homeless on a on a cold wintry friday and i just I appreciate that so much that even despite maybe the season hitting some bumps in the roads, guys don't pull back and kind of hide from other uh, th- areas that they can contribute. Yeah, well, I, I think I think that that's the important thing. And when you have a heart to serve and to be of service um, to others, you know, you realize that that that's that's the that, that's the crux of human nature right right you're going you're going to have ups you're going to have downs things that will go your way and things that won't go your way and that ability to smile in the face of adversity and still do what's right i mean is is one of those measuring blocks when you're talking about how do you build yourself up to be that forthright human being right i mean that's that's one of the things i i can handle this adversity because you know what at the end of the day i'm doing the right thing i'm mm-hmm. helping others in need that can't repay me you know <laughs> exactly that, that's the basis of it you know i love it because from installing little free libraries beginning in 2020 uh, cam also goes to the hayward house goes to helping underserved communities in the pittsburgh areas turkey giveaways that's big like like turkey giveaways and supporting the frontline workers with food and PPE equipment during the pandemic, you know that's that says everything about this guy and what he means to Pittsburgh. You know, I I look at this young man and the road he's been on since he was drafted here, and again, uh, I find it fascinating that you've got uh, you know 
one of the leader, the leader on the team, one of the leaders on the team, I should say. Um, but he's also a leader in the community and helping out. And Max, I know yep. you did some of that in your day too, buddy. Uh, yeah, I, I did a thing or two. I mean, you did you did remind me about the turkey drive. I mean, I made that <laughs> post for nine years, um, and that that was that was truly a special time. Um, you know, working with a lot of the early childhood literacy programs, right? Also, there in the Pittsburgh area, even doing the back to school messages. Okay. The, the phone calls for right? kids when they when they when they were finding out where they were going next year for school. <laughs> I did the back to school message. Uh, but yeah. How did that go? Yeah. By the way, you got some kid. You know, you're sending a message to him, and he's like, no, "I don't, no, I don't want to know where I'm going. I, I'm not going to school yet. I don't want to know." I, I, I pre-recorded the message, and then you know, you kind of add the school thing right, in there, right? But, but it was still a cool thing. It's like, yeah, Max Starks called my house. I'm like, what? I, no, no, I didn't. He's like, yeah, yeah, you did. You told me where I'm going to school. I was like, oh, 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 yes, yes. And did like, you get to the right school? <laughs> That, that's a question. Uh, did you like your choice? If you do, tell me. If you don't, don't tell me. I don't care. You still have to go. You still got to go to school. Now, you have an, a lineman's camp down there or something you run to? No, I, so I, I, do, I, do a, I do a youth football camp. Cool. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the Built Ford Tough football camp Ooh, sponsored by Ford. I like that. Uh, and, I, and I host it. Um, it was a transition from my original Max Stars youth football camp. Uh, it's been going, I've been running it for 15 years now. That's terrific. Uh, ne- next year will be 16 years. And well, I that usually it, follows 15. So I, even I can kind of figure that. But I wanted to make sure you didn't think that I was going into 15. Uh, okay. Sure 15 has been completed. For the sake of journalistic <laughs> integrity. Yes, exactly. For the sake of journalistic integrity. Um, but we've also kind of evolved, um, the community service aspect that I do in Orlando, um, to where we now have these summer reading rallies. Oh, uh, sounds where interesting. Where we go to five, we go to five, the five surrounding Central Florida counties in 30 days, and we have like reading rallies where we pass out school supplies and books to the kids. Because the biggest thing is, I was like, how do I make a book fair fun? It's by having a football camp there. And having, there you go. I was I was waiting for a good there. answer, trying yeah, to figure that so, one out. So that's kind of how I got to my football camp. But then when the pandemic hit, we couldn't do a football camp. Uh, my good buddy Emery, Emery came up with this idea, pitched it to me, and then we pitched it to Ford. And I was like, that is excellent. So now <clears throat> we do these activations at the five different counties, either at um, organizations, service organizations like food banks, right, uh, women's shelters, or we actually do it at like high school football camps oh, really? in the area, like big schools that have a football camp, we'll come and kids get, you know, little Italian ices and stuff for coming. Okay, out. I like that. And then you then you get uh, two age appropriate books for your summer reading to help you for your next grade. Excellent. And so so yeah, so we've done over twenty five thousand books over the last fifteen years. Wow, that's and a whatever lot. Whatever we books. have, usually extra, we donate books into school libraries in the area. Um, so that they have, so that they have the additional resources available to them. So yeah, because my, my my thing was always childhood literacy and education. That's been a huge thing since my grandmother, uh, you know, was a school teacher back back in Alabama back when 
let's just put it it was it was it wasn't nouveau uh in the 1930s um so <laughs> it wasn't nouveau what is that yeah is that like French? Well, that, 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 hey, that's the nicest way of saying it without getting into any political discussion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Things were a little different back in the 30s. Oh, <laughs> yes. There you go. But, you yeah. know, the thing is, again, you know, guys that are involved in the outside, and it, it's, it's, it requires a separation of mindset in many ways uh, because you got to tone it down after coming off a heated game or whatever it is that you're, you're going into a, a game, and so you've got to lay aside kind of – um, sort of where you are mentally and, and get into helping out and, and serving. And I, it's such a great biblical thing, man, you know, to be a servant as, as Christ was. That it really is, speaks to the heart of people coming together. That's what I loved about when I, when I just happened down to, you know, down to Light of Life, the rescue mission there, you know. I mean, just to see the guys there of their own free will and, and, and serving up grub. I mean, because... How else can you reach out to people who are really hurting but if you don't feed them and clothe them first, you know? And that that's why I love Light of Life so much. That's why Tunch was the big, you know, th- that was Tunch's thing, man. He just loved being around the guys, the homeless guys down there. He'd be down there talking with them and everything else and hanging out with them. And, uh, you know, it, he, he, just, uh, he, he just had this huge heart for Light of Life and the homeless well, it, it's it's about being able to take off the mask because that, that's ultimately what we put on, right? Good Helmet, point. mask, however you want to put it, um, to go guard yourself when you go on the football field, right? It, right. It, it's that kind of immunity that you, that you expect. It's where you can release tension, anger, and everything else and get into pure competition. But when you step off of that field, when you take off that uniform, you're taking off that mask – and becoming who you really are. And I think that that's one of the things, having the avenue and the outlets to be who you really are, a person who is caring, a citizen of this world, mm-hmm. right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and, and to whom much is given, much is expected, right? Bingo, so that's a, huge. So to be able to give back and pay it forward, knowing that it's just the right thing to do, and that's why you do it. It's not for acclaim. It's not for attention. It's not... For favor, it's because, you know what, I was blessed at some point. Because all of us were. All of us were blessed at some point by somebody who gave time to us and poured into us something unintentionally or intentionally that changed the path of our lives. You know, that's that's a great point. Max, who poured into your life at an early age? One of the what it doesn't have to be the guy. I'm just yeah. talking about because there's there's roadblocks along the way. You know, what I mean, and not roadblocks, yeah. but arrow pointing. You know, which way to go and stuff like that. Who poured some life into you when you were young? So you know, outside of my mom being a huge servant, you know, to right. everybody in the community. I mean, she, you know, made sure that we were at you know Salvation Army handing out. Thanksgiving dinners like like we I did that from a very young age right but a person that was not a family related member or blood member of my family was Mr. Green uh, in the fourth grade and he was at the Callahan Neighborhood Center down down in uh, Central Florida downtown Orlando and uh, he taught me chess really and just sitting in a room reading a newspaper had a chess board out I was walking by I was like hey what's that he's like hey why don't you come and sit down and from that point forward, he taught me how to play chess. And so 
that's something that that's my earliest like memory of someone taking that time. He was just there. Right. The door was open. It didn't matter who walked through that door. He was going to teach somebody chess that day. Hmm. And I just happened to be the kid that walked by and asked the question. And so I remember that. And he didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. He volunteered to do that. He wasn't. He wasn't there to get paid to do it. He said, ah, well, kids come to the community center. They want to learn chess. I'll teach them. That's and really so that, cool. That, that's really the first memory that that got me thinking about it. And then, of course, uh, you know, Miss Gloria Hill, my third grade teacher, um, was awesome because, you know, she was the one that if, if you did good in class and you earned these points and stuff, um, you got to go spend a day with Miss Hill. You, know, ah. back you could do that back in, back in the day. Right. And she was my third grade teacher. So we'd go to church, and then she'd take us to Stacy's Buffet. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. After church. I'm on to you now, the buffet. There you go. Yeah. And so, and, and we and she would just, you know, just talk, and we'd have conversations. And, and it was one of those things, it was nice. Like, man, she, she deals with us five days a week. Yes. For nine hours a day, and she's taking off on her Sunday to do this if a kid so or you know a kid earns the opportunity to do it and they could choose that as one of their rewards and so I thought that was special miss miss Barbara Bay my 8th grade social studies teacher and history teacher I remember I I worked as I worked as a student assistant in, in my free elective period in 8th grade and wow. I would I would hang out in there and, and she would just we would just have great conversations so I just remember those things and like you don't have to do those things and those people went out of their way to make themselves available. So I figured, why can't I do something like that? And right. so I'm appreciative of those people that poured into me and left an imprint and an indelible part in my in my life that I will always remember. Just like I could talk about it now on our show and still remember those names because they were that impactful to me. You know, that's very interesting because you really go a long ways back. I mean, you know, yeah. be able to, you know, I, I'm trying to remember, I think the the earliest thing I think I remember is Mrs. Ward in the sixth grade. <laughs> you know, she was tremendous. <laughs> but she, you know, she had a love of reading that she really gave to me a love of reading. Now, it's been spoiled a little bit in the, the latest uh, social media craze, that sort of stuff. Uh, because I would, yeah. I would, in my day, I'd check into training camp with a dozen books. Because the only way to get myself mentally out of training camp, out of a Chuck Knoll training camp, which a Chuck Knoll training camp was a little bit different than any other training camp because it wasn't about making the Steelers. It was about surviving the day. That's all. If you could survive the day, you <laughs> had another day. You know, you didn't worry about making the team until you'd survived a number of days where you saw the end of the, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel and you hoped it wasn't the proverbial uh, train, as they say, you know, the uh, yeah. knock on the door Turk kid, you know, that's, yeah. The, oh God, that's the Turk. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to, you see don't, the Turk. you don't <laughs> want to see the Turk, but you know, no. the love of reading that I had was, was uh, terrific. I loved to read. And it was, like I said, the only means that you could get yourself out of that. And that was Mrs. Ward in the sixth grade who really gave a love of reading to a lot of the students there. And yeah, it was it was terrific, awesome. you know, and that's yeah. kind of like this is like full circle. It comes back and you see guys like Cam Hayward and some of the other guys from the team that are reaching out in the community and doing those things. And I, th yeah. I think it's important that the community knows it because they know, number one, all right, we as professional athletes, we're, we're, we're pretty well compensated. 
Um, you know, and yeah. as as your age is is greater, <laughs> you're not as well compensated as the younger. But that's life, okay? You know, we oh, all hey. We paved the way for them. There you go. We all stand on the shoulders of the guys before us, and I think that's an important thing that all the young men need to know out there. But at the same time, um, you you look at that and you think, uh, these guys are taking the time. And, you know, hey, there there are some people that that don't, and that's that's fine. That's their life. But there's people, so many of these guys, that really give of themselves when they're able to give. And I, I just love that about the guys. I appreciate that about the guys. And I think um, it's certainly a means by which the older give it get a chance to set this tone for the younger and mentor by example in the in the locker room and outside the locker room. Yeah, and, and I think and and that that that's the kind of the thing because I, I remember vividly having that conversation with Marquise Pouncey mm-hmm. uh, when Pouncey was a rookie about you know what he could do and and in the community and the platform that he now held um you know and and him taking up that mantle on his own and deciding what he needed to do was necessary and so it's one of those things i look back on it and it's great to see it carried on because even looking at Najee, right you know Najee getting a partnership with lowe's and going and re-outfitting the homeless shelter that that he was in isn't that amazing Pouring it. I mean, yeah. how awesome is that? When you just think about it, that you have this memory, and how do you go do it? You go and you re- and you pay it forward to your own community for the next kid that might be in there and might feel a little ashamed. You 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 feel a little bit you know more more comfortable with the situation, even though it's an uncomfortable situation. Not that you're happy about it or anything else, but it makes it a little bit better, right? And I think that's kind of what we all strive for is to be somebody that you know you can say that you know what when you look back on it i i think i think i actually hopefully made a difference in somebody else's life for the better absolutely that's what it's about you know it, it's it's it reach one teach one there right? you go oh, i that, like that, that. that's that's all you can do get these quippy little sayings man you're spot on yeah you know you, you know i i mean i, I i've read i've read things i've read things <laughs> but, I know that I didn't my have friend. Mrs. Ward, but you know, yes. I, you know, I, I did read some books and and some phrases. <laughs> Mrs. Ward would have looked a lot up to you because she was only about four eleven, five foot tall. Uh-huh. I remember, so <laughs> yeah. it would have been a long. Okay, all right, we got to go to break. When we come back, we've got the great Bob Labriola, Steelers historian, Steelers Digest editor, all things Steelers coming up. Don't turn that dial. You're going to want to hear what he's got to say. We'll be back after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. All right, welcome back, everybody. And it's that time of the week. We love it because we have with us Bob Labriola, Steelers historian, Steelers Digest editor, and game day contributor and all things Steeler and Guy who's I respect an awful lot. Blabs, welcome to the locker room, buddy. Good to be here, Wolf. How are you guys? We are doing fine, Max. Yeah, I, I am. I, I'm in a good place. Right now. <laughs> Yesterday, I exercised a lot of demons. Labs. Uh, I'm definitely not cold anymore. Uh, I got a tank top on today because <laughs> you know it's going to be 83 out here. So uh, I, I'm doing okay. 
I'm still a little salty, i got to admit. <laughs> Over the game, aren't you? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can understand. You know, here's the thing about it. Uh, it, it, it it's frustrating. But, you know, I, I look at this, and the people that, that sit there and start to blame Mason, and they keep talking about it in terms of, you know, everything has always got to be about, well, uh, he's the guy that's going to, you know, pick up and run with it after Ben retires at some point in time. And I don't think that's ever been the case. All it is is you're here, you're here to do a job. He's done a dadgum good job. You know, you to me, you asking the guy to throw 50 times, coming, uh, you know, with the last pass he threw in competition was preseason. I think it's a little bit curious, don't you, Labs? Oh, yeah, the 50. You know what I was thinking about, Wolf? What's that? I was thinking about that 2003 game against the Jets at MetLife Stadium when there was six inches of snow on the ground. That's right. The score was 6-3 or 3 nothing or something like that, and we threw 48 passes. I mean, it, yes. I, it, just, it, it doesn't, you know, I get that, you know, you, you spent a week putting a plan together. I, I understand all that, and I respect that and the work that goes into it and all that stuff, but you know, I think that when you lose your uh, franchise quarterback, um, you know, you've got to make some adjustments. I mean, and I'm not saying you redo the game plan or anything, but, for example, um, the the first and goal at the five, I think it was. Right, three, three yes. Passes. And on the first one, Mason said, well, it was a an RPO. Well, you don't have an RPO for Mason. You know what I mean? You right. Can, yeah. you, you don't, I mean, you don't. I just, and, you know, again, I understand a lot of the, you know, you, you don't want to, um, I don't know, change everything because, you know, you're missing a guy, but that's a significant guy you're missing. And the the thing with Ben, beyond his ability in terms of, you know, throwing the ball and, you know, those physical kind of things, you know, his, as Mike Tomlin would say, from the neck up game is hugely significant. And, um, you know, I would have just tried to um, remove a, lo- a little or a lot of that stuff, you know, from Mason's plate just so that he's not worrying or trying to concentrate on so many different things. I would agree with you, Labs. And I, I know that Max and I have been kicking this around. And uh, one of the things that, to me, um, it's kind of like you, you're trying to and almost you get you're making Mason play like Ben rather than let's have the best opportunity to win the game which look again I got all the respect in the world for Matt Canada and I understand how hard it is for coordinators you got the metrics you got the scouting you got to put this all together you got to know your personnel uh, I don't throw bricks at coordinators I've been around Tom Moore too long in my life to understand what goes into all the decision-making and Bruce Arians talking with him and all the decision-making things that, that, that come in there. But at the very least, you're looking at that, and when I see that muddy track and you see what Najee Harris was doing and accomplishing, Max, I know that you'd agree with me, that, that running the ball was just – it was job one and job five and job end of all. Well, it was, it was, it was the most apparent thing that you could have done. I mean, it was almost like – Hey, this is too obvious. We want to fool them. And it's like, no. I mean, sometimes the simplest simplest answer is just that simple. Run the ball. Crappy weather. Field. Chewed up. I know you can't tell from TV because there's a great job. We've got a nice Krylon touch on the field. But you just need to go and just run the ball. That's what the Lions did. 
Hence why they were able to amass 16 points and take a lead at one point in this game. Because guess what? They didn't try and get cute and fancy. They knew that their quarterback was hobbled or limited. Well, I, w- I, I mean, we, we could argue the semantics about li- being limited as a backup quarterback. Um, but, you know, it was just frustrating because you should have ran, especially in a goal line situation. I get you cheated death once with James Washington. You cheated death labs you know what i'm saying and, and you even asked you you even had the same response for the life of me i don't know how you don't run it on first and goal inside the five at least once you run play action sprint outs and passes the entire time with nobody just tucking their head and just barreling forward to at least get some yards in that situation um you know Here's my question, Labs, and, and I'm sure there's other people in Steelers Nation that probably have asked this in different colorful ways. But, I mean, but just Matt Canada, why do you have to get so cute and fancy with the motions? Like, it, we, we see that it's not being an, an advantageous thing. I get it looks good when you look at it in the AFC West and when you look at it in the NFC West. But we're in the AFC North. Just like the NFC North, you know, I don't see guys running a bunch of motions in either of those divisions and it being successful. It's line up and go hit them. And they did it in the first drive labs to get down to the red zone to throw it to Washington. Like they use that approach. And then I feel like we just kind of got away from it and tried to make it a passing display. You know, I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with you. And sometimes, and this is not just, you know, this current offensive coordinator, but I mean, I go uh, as far back as Wolf and Tom Moore. Um, you know, he may have been guilty of it less than most, but even he would do this sometimes, and I've never understood this. You know, Mike Pursuit and, and I always tease about it. You know, I've looked through the NFL rule book, and there is no rule against running the same play twice in a row. <laughs> there is not. And so yeah. do it. Do it again. Do it again. You know, make them stop it. Don't. You know, one of the most curious things in my life in this business was when I was still at Pitt and Jackie Sherrill was the football coach and the Pitt was playing Florida State at home, ran the ball up and down the field in the first half, second half, didn't run the ball very much at all, lost the game. Sherrill was asked, why didn't you run the ball as much in the second half because of how effective it was in the first half? His answer, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Well, since we ran it so well in the first half, we figured they would adjust to that. <laughs> so we decided we would try to do something. <laughs> you know, Lebs, one of the greatest things oh, – you, you wrote an article. I, I, I texted you, told you how I, I really loved the article you wrote the other day, kind of summarizing uh, the Lions game. And one of the things you pointed out was with a certain amount of time left in the third quarter – um, and with all this rushing yardage piling up, and at that time, I think the, they were averaging almost a first down, a rush, that being the Lions. Um, they proceeded to, from that point on at the end of the third quarter to the end of overtime, had Jared Goff throw the ball 17 times. And I, the only thing I can say is, well, it wasn't just Matt Canada that maybe got away from their game plan. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, again, this is not a unique um, – Thing that I'm talking about, I, I and I don't understand it. Uh, you know, we talked about it on the pregame show, and one of the things that you know I was concerned about was, you know, because you're without Ben, and it was such a late in the week situation that happened. You know, you, you're, you're 
you're kind of hoping, I believe, you're hoping from your players that everybody wants to, you know, pick up their game a little bit. You know, if everybody is, you know, 1% better uh, than they would be with Ben, then, you know, you can overcome maybe the loss of Ben and still win the game. You know, but the coaches, you know, sometimes I think that there's just an eagerness for the coaches to try and do the same thing. They want to make a perfect call. They want to, you know, have an impact in a positive way. And, you know, sometimes that's not necessary. It's just not. Just, you know, do what they can do and what Mason Rudolph is comfortable with. Um, Or let me put it even in a different way. Not what he tells you he's comfortable with, but what you've seen him execute enough times that you know that he's comfortable with it. Because, you know, guys like him, um, if you ask him, um, you know, he's going to want to do whatever you want to do. I mean, you know, the juices are flowing and I'm getting a chance to play and sure, coach, I can do whatever you want to call. But, you know, it's kind of like, and I'm not a parent, so I don't know, but we'll find out you have kids. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've got to reel the kids in and yeah. say, no, 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 do it, what I, do it my way. You know, this yeah. is better. When you get older, you'll understand. But right now, just do what I tell you. And I didn't see enough of yeah. that. Uh, in in terms of uh, you know the Sunday afternoon play calling. Well, and I think you know we we talked about it yesterday on the show labs, and it's simply you know people are like you know how how do you hand uh, Mason Rudolph keys to the Lamborghini uh, when he, when he ha- when he hasn't done? It? I said no. I said you have to understand Mason in a position. He's a kid that just wants to drive. He doesn't care what car it is. Just give him keys to drive a car, and it just so happens the keys you toss to him are a Lamborghini versus him wanting the Lamborghini. You know, I think that's kind of the best way I look at it is, you know, Mason didn't say, hey, I got to throw this ball 50 times, guys, if, if, if I'm, if I'm going to come in the game. It's no, the offensive coordinator, who was the previous quarterback's coach, at my, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, correct, the previous year, uh, Labs, yes. was, yeah. So he should know Mason better than – Somebody that just came in as a random coordinator because you were in that room with them a year ago. Um, so you would think he has a good eye on what Mason can and cannot do and tried to put the team in the best position based on Mason's strengths. It did not prove as such. The weather did not dictate it. But Matt Canada did call things that he knew um, could be run by Mason. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I don't want to. Uh, narrow the focus too much here, but you know, even all the complaining and whining that I always do about the offensive coordinator. And as I mentioned, you know, I go back as long as Wolf, so this is not a new thing for me. But you know, Matt Canada didn't fumble the ball right. uh, twice. Right. You know, um, he didn't miss any tackles. You know, in the running game, he didn't rough the passer. He didn't run into the kicker. I mean, a lot of these things that were happening. You know, the only way a team, or let me put it to you this way, the primary way that a 5-3 and three team does not beat an 0-8 team um, uh, at home in a home game is, you know, if it's a tennis match, you keep hitting the ball into the net. They call those unforced errors. <laughs> the Steelers had too many unforced errors. You know, how, the, the, and, you know, Wolf and I were texting, I don't know if it was Monday or Sunday night or whatever, but... To me, too many things, issues with the Steelers now are recurring. They yeah. don't get fixed. And, you know, I don't know 
I can't assign blame, and I'm not willing to attempt it. But to me, that's just uh, a little discomforting and disappointing that um, they still miss some tackles. And, and to the degree and, you know, in bunches uh, that they're missing tackles. Right. Uh, I didn't think, and I mean, you guys probably know this better than I, but I didn't particularly think anyone on the defensive line except Cam Hayward uh, even played C football. I mean, I just thought that all of those guys, again, except for Cam, were getting moved out of the way and too much um, – they were exposing the inside linebackers too much. Absolutely, yeah. It, I mean, I don't know what the answer is, you know, except for get them to play better. But, I mean, um, you know, this is what they have. Well, this is Tyson what I said. Go terrible. ahead, Labs, finish your thought. Tyson Alualu is done for the year. Right. I, mean, I don't know I don't know that we're going to see Stephon Tewitt this year. I really don't. So, in my opinion, expecting him to come riding in on a white horse and save the day is delusional at this point. Right. So, this is what you guys, this is what you have. And these guys got to pick it up and start. Um, I don't know what they're not doing, but it just seems to me that, you know, as Russ Grimm always said, you know, offensive line play is moving the guy from point A to point B against his will. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Steelers' defensive linemen are getting moved from point A to point B uh, way too often and too consistently. Gotcha. We got to go to break, but before I let you go, Labs, because I really enjoyed the article you wrote on Steelers.com. It's still there. Uh, but also, I got to ask you something. You wrote, William Shakespeare wrote a play titled The Comedy of Errors. And if the Bard was a sports writer, it would have been about Steelers versus. Who's the Bard? I, I'm sorry, I'm lacking in, in, in Shakespeare etiquette here or, or knowledge. Shakespeare was the uh, Bard? That's what Jacob the yeah. Ninja said. Yes, that's what they referred to him as, the Bard. The bard. <laughs> What's the bard? I still don't know what the bard is. That's what they refer to Shakespeare as. Really? That's all? Why couldn't yeah. he be called William Shakespeare? <laughs> uh, well, I think that, you know, you know when, when you're – it's like Megatron. When you're that good, you get a nickname. <laughs> well said. That's the way to finish on a high note. Thank you, Bob Labriola. I've been Thanks, stewing Labs. about this. This is what keeps me up at night. Who is the bard? The bard is William Shakespeare. Okay, because he's big guy. He gets what he wants. We love it. Thank you, Labs. I appreciate you. All right, folks. Have a good day. All right, man. Uh, you too. Oh, that's perfect. Let's go to break. I got to commiserate more with with uh, my ninja over here and find out what was the bard. What did I? How did I miss? what the bard was if, if it's William Shakespeare. We'll be back after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. You're back in the locker room with Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas. And we just had a great session there with uh, Bob Labriola, all things Steelers. And I, I was a little confounded there, Max, but, you know, you set me straight. Yeah, one of the things you have to real, realizing it is that, uh, you know, a bard, um, poems, right? People who deliver messages and kind of stories of the past in a very theatrical type of way, usually with the harp or a lyra, um, those were the original kind of bardists that you think of. Oh, a bardista. And, <laughs> not, no, you don't go to a Starbucks and talk to them and ask for a bardista. <laughs> that, 
You won't get a coffee. You'll get a tail. Uh, <laughs> well, then let me ask you: Would it would would this be the equivalent of a modern day troubadour? You know, a Bob Dylan esque type guy, right? Somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that Michael Jackson is another one that comes comes to mind, right? You Michael know, Jackson tells a story. Well, just because he tells a story in his music videos, right? His music videos are very epic. Very, they tell a tale. It's not just. Oh my gosh! It's just this song. Like it's a story along the way. You get kind okay. of a frame of mind, right? Because you have to remember. Remember when Michael Jackson videos used to get released on like ABC, mm-hmm. right? It was it was like special programming. It was almost treated like a like a short film. Okay, that's that's essentially what you're doing now. Now, for Shakespeare's purposes, obviously he had these traveling shows that told these grander tales and stories but we say in modern times we don't we don't take that time i mean you have movies but they're not written in that type of way where it has a kind of a melody a rhythm and a flow and a rhyme to it um you know i think that's kind of where we 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 have kind of lost that true art of that um you know outside the vaudeville of act that sort of thing yeah yeah okay. but but i mean you know broadway broadway is 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 our equivalent right it, that that that's the equivalent uh, but, you know, how many people do go to Broadway now? I mean, I know I do, but I know it's kind of lost now in the movie culture, the Netflix streaming culture, you know, to go to a, a show um, and watch it played out. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? You mm-hmm. know, Hamilton, those type of things. Like, those are along those lines of how you view what a bard is. So a bard is essentially that poet, that person who delivers the theatrical performance of a tale um in in respects well i hit my high point uh in the sixth grade i was in the sixth grade play and i was a tree so i mean that was as as barded up as i got you know that was So did you make like a tree and leave (laughs) way to knock it out of the park buddy (laughs) exactly listen listen Low-hanging fruit's the best fruit. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. I love it. All right, we got to go to some other low-hanging fruit, and that would be, you know, the discouraging news coming out of all this is that Minka Fitzpatrick has now tested positive for COVID, and we're not quite sure of his, you know, his status. Is he, you know, not that anybody should be uh, privy to that knowledge, but if he's, you know, got um, the vaccine or not, because yeah, here he's got a. If he's been vaccinated and he's un, non-symptomatic, he's got to pass two negative tests, right? At the yeah. coming up for about 40, 24 hours apart, um, be uh, asymptomatic for forty-eight hours. So, um, I, you know, well, yeah, that that would be for um, Minka as well as Ben, right? Yeah, yeah, both of them have to um, be non-symptomatic and get through. Uh, two of those tests. So yeah, it, it's it's one that's not. It's very frustrating on the timing, um, just because he tested. You know, Minka tested after a game. Yeah. So and obviously we know there's typically a week between games, unless it's a Thursday and you're going to the next Sunday. Right. Unless it's um, a Wednesday and you know you happen to have to play on a Wednesday like they did last year. If you remember yeah, that well, one. you know, well, I mean, you know, because you know, good, good thing they're not in the MAC, right? Uh, <laughs> right now, we're on Tuesdays. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, but I, I think that that that's kind of one of the things, especially when you talk about when you're looking at the bright spots in the defense. I, I you know, I know, I know, Lab um, said that you know nobody outside of Cam played above a C, but I would definitely give credence to Minka 
that Minka still played at a very high level. And Terrell Edmonds, I thought, um, he had an outstanding game. What was a lot more forceful and visible in the game and made some big plays and big moments. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's it's easy to put on the uh, the dark tent and just start just just gr- going away because, like you said, there were so many missed tackles. You know, there was a lot of missed opportunities that we didn't take advantage of, especially when it came to the run game, right? Igwe Buke's, uh 42-yard run for the touchdown could have easily, at five different points, somebody could have taken him down, and they didn't. So, I mean, I exactly. get that frustration, but, you know, we can't lose hindsight of the things that were good um, in that game to keep it at a tie because right. it could have been a loss. We could be like the rest of the AFC North, True. right? <laughs> you know, when you look at the Ravens, the clear, and that's the other, and that's the other thing I didn't get to ask Labs. I wish I would have was, hey, where do we stack up in this entire picture in your mind when you look just around the league? You know, it's easy to go into a silo and just focus on what we didn't do and what our expectation is. But when you look at this body of work so far compared against the rest of the league, I'm like, it can always be worse. <laughs> it can always be worse. And I and I think that we're just lumped in there with everybody else, right? You could either finish finish first or last. That that's about the type of year it is, where it's going to be unlikely. There is no standout great team. Look at the L.A. Rams and what happened to them last night. They got dismantled by the 49ers, who arguably is in fourth place in the NFC West, and the L.A. Rams were in the two seed, looking to be you know one of the top four teams in the NFC. Right, and they got dismantled last night. So I think when we look at it, you're like, you know what? This is definitely something that, you know, you can't just look at it, you know, in just that microscope and put the and put the magnifying glass at 100x and just stare in one place. You've got to look at the entire picture to get an idea. Where do we stack up at the end of the day? Because that's where it is. That's what it matters, right? It's about getting a shot. It's about getting one of the pole positions in the playoffs to then make the final push. Uh, after January 9th, and how do you progress on from January 10th and on, and are we still in that hunt? And I say, yes, we are. You know, one of the things that uh, is so disturbing about Mika, uh, you know, getting COVID is uh, the fact that, again, it comes after the game, you know, and there's obviously interactions, and you wonder, is the fallout complete? You know, I mean, you don't know. Nobody yeah. knows really exactly uh, at what point you sit there and say, all right, um, not a chance. Everybody's else tested fine. But you don't know. There's what, a five-day infection period or something? Three-day incubation window, I believe. Three, okay, three, five. You know, I, math was never my strong well, well, suit. Hey, once again, hey, just know it's not that moment. That, it's not that <laughs> moment. You know, there you it's go. You know, it's not that moment. But yeah. the point is, then, you know, you've got a situation where if Mink is not up there, then who are we looking at? We're looking at Arthur Mullet. We're looking at Miles Killebrew. We're looking at Trey Norwood. We're looking at, you know, those guys all, you know, having to – uh, rally around. Kilo Witherspoon. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> well, that uh, you think he's going to play safety? I mean, he, I, mean, uh, he, I don't think that's. Come in and do something. You got to do something. <laughs> you got to do something. We trade for him. You got to do something. L- oh listen, man. Listen, listen. You got, hey, hey, listen, Aquilo. Hey, scholarship. Scholarships yeah. due. Yeah. You still got a red shirt here, bud. You got to pay uh, the rent. Still got to pay the rent here, um, you know. But I think I think you. But but yeah, you do have to figure out a way of how do we get um, the best combination of guys ready to play on Sunday. 
I think that's that's ultimately what it comes down to is how well do we do those things? And so that so that's where, you know, it, it is interesting. And, and this does provide a very quandary situation because we're you know, remember, we're, all, we're already down Joe Hayden in the yeah. secondary. No doubt. So now if you're having to replace Joe and Minka for an extended amount of time, i.e. a game, how do we rotate guys? You know, what does that rotation do? What does that do to our coverage? You know, do we play more zone? Do we play more cover three to keep ourselves contained? Right. Um, you know, because that, 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 that's the question. Because let's face it, when you look at this Charger squad, they got receivers, and they, they got, got a quarterback who likes to throw I was about receivers. to say, they got some, some weaponry. <laughs> you know, it's not like the yeah. Detroit Lions who you made, you know, one-dimensional, and Jared Goff, you know, let's face it, the guy's not – at the peak of his game and they don't have dangerous receivers i'm sorry you know i look no. at the wide receivers that they came with and hawkinson didn't even get a target i don't think they're tight end so now he got a couple of targets he just didn't get catches okay uh, he did get a couple remember, targets he got like two in the second half okay but none in the first half <coughs> especially for a guy that leads on, in it on the red zone okay. yeah and i think that that was a thing that was kind of also crazy is that the guys who were your top two you're like, what the heck happened? Uh, you know that they went away from that. It was we had the run game cooking, right? Wabuke and Swift were running all over us, and we couldn't we couldn't match that intensity that they brought because they knew. Listen, Khalif Raymond, Amon Ra, St. Brown, Mooney, none of those dudes are scaring you. I'm not. Oh my God, I got to dedicate to. I got to bracket one of these guys. No, you weren't. And then, and then the Minka, uh, the Minka interception that was called back. That wasn't an interception. Out, that yes. was to, yeah, that was that was to Hawkinson. Yeah. Oh, that was to Hawkinson. There you go. Yeah, they, there were was trying to, they were trying to hit Hawkinson. Beautiful. Uh, on the seam route. Okay. Um, so I mean, yeah. So he did have a couple of targets, but you know, th there's no excuse for. <coughs> we were worried about the run. It was raining. It was cold. It was miserable. <laughs> the entire game. Of course, this game was going to be handled on the ground. This was teed up and ready for classic old school football. This was electric football at this time. It was. You know what I'm saying? I Remember know. The old electric football court? You just put them on there and they just rumble and buzz. That's yep. what you wanted to see on the field. The ball didn't need to be in the air unless you were like third and long, like, oh my gosh, we got to do something because obviously they're going to stop us and we want a little bit better punting position. There like you go. That's, that, that, it, it's for pin placement. Um, but we used it as a primary focal point of attack. I think that's what kind of, that's what kind of, you know, just crushed me a little bit. All right. We got to go to break. When we get more, we're going to get, when we come back, we'll get more from Max on what electric football is like, because that's oh, back geez. in the dark ages. We'll be back <laughs> after this.